Three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast, episode ninety-one. Here with Josh, also here with Paige. Hey, hey. Paige is our lighting director. We got, <laughs> we got a new camera here, and uh, yeah. naturally, she had to come and help us out with some lights. We got this big ass light here that Josh has had here for fucking ever that we haven't used yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's giving me a nice glow. I think. Yeah, you're glowing. <clears throat> Um, I'm recovering from being sick, so if my voice sounds like fucking ball sack, I'm sorry. I mean, what else is there to say? Like, I, I hear it in the headphones right now, and it does not sound like it usually sounds. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> oh my God. I got my liquid. This Today's episode is sponsored by Liquid IV. Yeah, it's way better than Logan Paul's brand. It's better than Prime. Yeah, I really like this stuff. This is the um, this is the yuzu pineapple flavor. Mm. It's caffeinated, oh. which is awesome, and it also is the equivalent of three bottles of water in one. Wow. Go get you some liquid IV. This so, stuff will help you after a long day out. Yeah, go to a wedding. You're out late drinking. Put a couple of these back the night before, and when you wake up in the morning, you're gonna feel great. Is that kind of like a pina colada? Yeah, this one's kind of like a pina colada. Pina. Pina colada. Feel like pina coladas. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I literally, like, we're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff today. Um, I, we, I mean, it's been, it's been two hours since everybody's been at the house, and we're just starting the podcast now, so that's cool. Yeah. Josh, what's new? Oh. What? Now I feel like I'm being launched. Mike's on you. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Do you want me to point it at him? Do you need no, no. Okay. Keep it right there. <laughs> uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I fly out to Vegas tomorrow, and that'll be fun. Yeah. Out there for a week. Um, <laughs> otherwise, same old, same old. Not much has changed in the like two days since we saw each other. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. We filmed a lot of podcasts in a short period of time. We have. We had two great episodes um, come out with guests that were good. Yeah. So today's probably going to be not not a super long one. I think we're going to kind of just get right into the the topics at hand here. We'll mm-hmm. discuss them a little bit um, and then kind of leave you guys with a nice, easy, digestible episode today. So two things I want to talk about. One, <clears throat> I've had a couple of virtual consults lately that I want to break down. And I well, one in particular I want to talk about because this dog training thing that we're doing, right? It's It's... <laughs> It blows my mind all the time how overcomplicated we make everything, right? So mm. I want to share a story about a virtual consult I did about a week and a half ago, right? Okay. So there's this family. They're based out of Texas. They reached out to me, and they sent me a, uh email after they listened to one of our podcast episodes. I don't remember exactly which episode it was or what it was about. <clears throat> Long story short, she sent me an email, and she was basically like, Hey, um, I just listened to this podcast episode and I've never felt more like somebody like understands our situation that we're been in. Mm. We feel like we're basically just trapped in our house with this dog. They have, it's a three-year-old like mini Aussie doodle or something like that. Mm. Right. And this dog has just basically been like terrorizing them over things. Yeah. They've been to three different trainers. Let's let this sink in. Anytime people have been to multiple other trainers, I don't say it from the standpoint of, wow, look how much better we are than those other trainers. Mm-hmm. I look at this from the standpoint of there's a serious problem in the dog training world if it takes 
three to four trainers to solve a simple issue, mm-hmm. right? So let me outline their issues, right? So the dog, since it was like, actually, I can probably just pull the freaking email up. Elvira, where's she at? <clears throat> Here we go. Find the first email. Where's it at? Hmm. Well, to that point real quick, that's kind of what we were talking about with Tyler uh, on the podcast a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago, you know, talking about, you know, these trainers that kind of go out and do their own thing before they should be, you know, yeah. and how it really does negatively impact yeah, the, but this, this. The thing about this is this isn't even like people are are going out before they should be. Like, these are, like, experienced trainers. Really? They couldn't get to the bottom of this. Okay. <laughs> Conveniently. This is a technology for us, right? This message has not been downloaded from the server, so it won't let me read the email. But the title of the email is Furious and Sweet, a Bernadoodle guarding dog needs help. And the owners do, too. Okay. So I'll summarize this for you guys. Okay. So so mini Bernadoodle, right? Um, issues in the house, right? The dog... Um, was guarding resources. Now, not severely guarding, not like I'm trying to kill you guarding, Mm -hmm. right? But he would get miscellaneous objects all over the house, right? He would not let them take it from them, right? He would act out and get kind of snarky and stuff towards them if they would try to take it. They literally couldn't get him to release these objects for them, Mm -hmm. right? He would jump on the couch, and then if they tried to get him off of the couch, he would literally bite the couch and start thrashing around and shaking the couch like crazy. Like, just be an absolute psycho. Jesus Christ, right? okay. If they were trying to eat dinner, right, he would literally jump on the freaking table to try to get their food off of it, right? Wow. Out on the walk, he would pick anything up off of the ground that he wasn't allowed to have, and same deal. They couldn't get him to drop things, right? They basically were resorted to having him tethered in a corner in the living room for virtually the entire day, right? He couldn't be free roaming in the house, right? Mm -hmm. They've taken him to multiple trainers, right? Everything from reward-based training to balance training. Uh, They did like prong collar training. They tried to do some e-collar training, not with a trainer, but on their own a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And they just, they couldn't get anywhere with this, right? They were getting all these mixed messages all over the place as far as how to handle, excuse me, oof. Ooh, Jesus Christ. An IV. <coughs> Liquid IV. Liquid IV coming out. That's that yuzu pineapple smell right there. <laughs> anyway. So so um, one of the trainers, one of the balance trainers that came in, uh-huh. they came to the house, and he would, like, set things up. He had the dog on a prong collar, right? He would set things up. The dog would pick it up, and he would use the prong to try to get the dog to drop things by giving, like, really firm leash pops and stuff like that. Mm. Couldn't even get the dog to drop things. Mm. And he basically resorted to telling them the dog can't be... His solution was because he couldn't get the dog to drop things. He said that the dog... He was the one who gave them the opinion on the dog needed to be tethered in the corner, right? So whatever. So bad information given all around. They were basically just trapped in their house. Like, they couldn't let the dog loose. They couldn't enjoy their dog. The dog was guarding things from them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. We did a virtual consult. I taught them how to properly fit the e-collar that they had because they bought one on their own, right? I taught them not how to teach the dog anything. I taught them how to deliver a meaningful correction to the dog with the e-collar, right? 
I taught them to throw out the window all of the jargon that you hear all over the internet about e-collar should always be used at low levels and should be in a communication fashion and all this stuff. I taught them that they needed to teach this dog some firm boundaries, right? We did like a 45-minute consult teaching them how to do that, right? I gave them strategic step-by-step things to do over the course of a week to address this problem, then this problem, then this problem, then this problem, right? And how to start giving the dog some freedom after they gave all of those boundaries to the dog. We did a 15-minute brush-up or or, uh, follow-up Zoom call with them the other day, and they literally told me that in five days, right, their life was literally changed with this dog the dog was literally free roaming in the house, just hanging out. They're petting him and stuff, like in the in the virtual consult. They mm-hmm. said he doesn't even try to jump on the couch anymore. He doesn't pick anything Hell up yeah. off of the ground. They said the one time that he picked something up that he wasn't supposed to have, he immediately dropped it for them, right? They started nice. implementing the e-collar on the walk and stopped him from picking things up. They said that literally the last week was the most enjoyable week they've ever had with this dog in the three years that they've had him. Let's go. Right? Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Right? So cool. The important thing here is that was so easy. It was so easy. <laughs> it, was, it was so freaking easy. Yeah. They spent thousands of dollars on training for this dog, and mm-hmm. they couldn't get there. All this came down to is setting meaningful boundaries for the dog. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Need some music after that. <clears throat> it was just funny because, you know, I that follow-up one, I... I didn't know how things were going to go. You know, I was like, you know, like maybe we'll do like 30 minutes or something like that, yeah. you know, touch base, give them some new things to work on, see what went well, what didn't go well. And they got on and they're just like, things are literally great. <laughs> they're like, there's like no, there's like no problems. Yeah. They're like everything is so awesome. Hell yeah. Like, and they were just, they were just happy, you know? And it's, <clears throat> I think sometimes like if we could just look at like solving these problems faster. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just going to help people out so much. For sure. So much. And, you know, I think it's so it's so crazy that you can do that over a virtual console, you know? Yeah. I think that that is proof in the pudding right there that you can do this for somebody in Texas, mm-hmm. literally, yeah. you know? And I think that is such a game changer for people, 100%. especially when you're doing it, you know, you're, you're Zoom calling them, right? But then they have to go do that work, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And I think it just... It's almost kind of like a better one-on-one, I feel like, because yeah. it's like all on them. Yeah, 100%. It gets to like, these are the things you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you can do to adjust thing. And because I'm not hands-on working with the dog, it doesn't put any sort of responsibility in the dog's hand then at that point, right? Exactly. It puts all the responsibility on the owner. Yeah. You know, like you're going to do this or you're not going to do this. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're not going to do it, we can't help you. But if you can do this and you can make those adjustments, you're going to see the fruits of those labors come out very yeah. quickly. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, that was sweet. Um, I've had a couple other virtual consults. I did another one recently with a family. I don't remember where these people were from. I think they're from maybe like Oregon or something. I don't know. Whatever. Um, same deal. Two dogs getting into fights with each other, right? Kind of out of nowhere. They had just moved into like a brother-in-law's house or something like that that has two more dogs. Mm. And just the ch- these dogs lived together for like two and a half years. They were fine. Then suddenly, as soon as they move into this house, they start getting in fights with each other. So same deal. We were able to go in and we were able to kind of dissect this is why they're fighting right now, right? This is what's, you know, leading to all of these different problems, right? This mm. is, um, 
you know, the things that you guys can do to make sure, one, we're not fighting an uphill battle and preventing these issues moving forward, and two, um, you know, the things the dogs are going to need from you in order to reintroduce them safely, obviously. And same deal, a lot of this boiled down to because this move happened and they didn't have a whole lot of training established with the dogs, what was happening was as they moved into this new setting and they were getting a little concerned by things and didn't know what was going on with the adjustment process, we didn't have the training established to be able to guide them through that and set boundaries for them in the house. So they wound up just taking out that stress on each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so getting into those types of things, you know, it, it, and it wound up working out really well as well. So we got another follow up with them here soon mm -hmm. uh, to see how things are going. But we've already started the reintroduction process. They have them together some of the time now. Uh, and we're just working on showing them while they're in this house. You know, this is how we prevent further issues from happening. So that one was cool as well. Nice. So, Have you done any uh, out of country <coughs> consults? No, not yet. Not yet. No, not. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've had a decent amount of people from Canada. Yeah. Canada, I don't really count, though. There's uh, something about Canada that just feels <laughs> like it's, like, not out of the country. <laughs> like, we just had this uh, We just had this girl in town, um, uh, Eva, uh, that came in from Toronto, and she spent, like, five days with us. And <clears throat> it's funny. Like, I was, like, we were talking and stuff, and it's, like, crazy that she's from another country because it's, like, only a five-hour drive from us. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like especially Toronto is just basically the United States. Yeah. Like, everyone just comes over here. We go over there. It's fine. Yeah. But. That was a cool one, too. Like, she brought this dog up that um, had never been socialized with other dogs before, was super dog reactive, and... They just didn't know how to get a handle on the situation. She mm -hmm. brought this dog up, man, in freaking, we did eight hours of lessons with this dog. Totally changed this dog's life, right? The dog wound up being a social butterfly, but they never nice. had the resources to be able to even try to socialize the dog. Mm. The <coughs> the dog reactivity was like so bad they couldn't even really walk her out and about because she would just explode into oh, their sure. dogs. Since she's been back home, she's been posting pretty much every single day videos of her going out and about with this dog. Mm -hmm. Getting, you know, play dates, setting up, going for walks around tons of other dogs, the dog keeping it under control. Like, it's yeah. been, it's been, like, mind-blowing how quick. I mean, that's the thing, too. Mm -hmm. Like, here, actually, I screenshotted two things that she posted that I'll pull up here because I thought they were pretty interesting. I was actually going to send these to Pedrella to use. Okay, so she posted on her Instagram, um, like, stories, like, one of those, like, Q&A things. Like, what do you want to know from Melly's training? And there were two in particular that I liked her responses to. So somebody asked her, what was your biggest takeaway? <clears throat> and she said, there was a lot of learning, but three big things for me was one, move at half speed. So much of our communication with our dogs has too much noise for them to understand clearly. Moving slower than what would be natural when you're teaching them something will allow you to focus in on your body language, timing, et cetera, and allow them a much better chance of understanding you faster. <coughs> uh, thing number two, what is the expectation for the dog in this current moment? Um, having that be super clear and simple in my brain allows me to reinforce and hold the dog accountable in a way that's consistent and clear. And three holy repetitions. The amount of reps we did for each lesson was wild. Can the dog do it successfully five straight times? Then let's add a few more. <laughs> So those three things are massive, right? I teach people mm -hmm. this a lot, right? So the move at half speed, we could call it move at half speed. I mean, sometimes we physically are just moving slower, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we're doing things, we're going so quick. And it's not that speed is the problem, obviously. 
There's plenty of times that I'll work very quickly and I can get away with proficiently working quickly with a dog. But the problem is for most owners, when you're dissecting all sorts of new information and you're trying to communicate in a clear way, the faster you're moving, the more you're going to jumble stuff together and not focus on the intricacies of each step, mm -hmm. right? Whether that's something as simple as when we're working duration on the leash and we're walking around the dog and then trying to make sure the dog is listening to our words and not seeing our emotions. If we're flying around them and then we say like, okay, right? Like, they're seeing the motion more than they're listening to what we're saying, yeah. right? Whether it's when we're walking, if you're a fast walker and you're basically freaking power walking in place, yeah. right? You're not going to see the slight variations in your dog's walk in the directions that they're moving. Where if you're walking at a nice slow pace, you can really see that attention staying on you, right? Mm. <clears throat> the second part, this is, this is one of the most important things I find myself like coaching people on. What is the expectation for the dog in this current moment? If there is one thing that every owner struggles with with their dog is they have no clue what they want them to do. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like they want the dog to behave, right? But they don't know what it is specifically that they want the dog to do in that moment, mm -hmm. right? And if we could just take a step back and just define what that is and say, okay, cool, right? We're having issues with the walk, right? We're having issues with a sit stay. We're having issues with a bed command. We're having issues with guests coming over. What do you want the dog to do? Paint that picture. I want them to stay on the bed. More specifically, I want them just to have four paws on the bed. I don't care what they do on it, right? I don't care about the barking and stuff like that as long as they're staying there. If it's on the walk, I want them to stay with me, I you know, or I just don't want them to move towards the dog or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. If you could paint a clear picture of this is the exact expectation in that moment, your ability to enforce that is going to come across so much more clearly to the dog. Right. And the dog is going to understand more clearly what it is that you want from them because you're going to enforce it in a way that they're going to understand. Right. As mm. opposed to some people, it's like their expect change, expectation changes every minute. It's like sometimes on the walk, right? They just don't want the dog to move towards the other dog. And then it shifts to if the dog is getting aroused, well, I want the dog to sit now. And then it shifts to when the dog is sitting, well, they also can't look at the other dog. And it's just like it constantly changes. Yeah. And because the dog has no clue what the fuck you're asking <laughs> of them in that moment, yeah. what happens is then they get frustrated because they're like, I don't know what you're asking me to do right now. And I'm aroused about this dog over here and I'm getting pissed off and now I'm just going to explode it even more intensely because everybody's being fucking crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like if you could just simplify it, just simplify it for yourself and for the dog, you're going to find faster results, right? This has mm -hmm. been the key of so much of the success we've been able to have with owners, with dogs, is being able to break these things down. It was the same exact thing with that virtual console right? We painted a clear expectation of this is what we don't want the dog to do right now, mm -hmm. right? We made it so simple. And then we clarified, this is exactly how we communicate to them what it is that we don't want them to do, Yeah, right? As long as you can do that, you're going to find great results. And then the repetitions thing, man, this is so important. We just posted a, a video clip. I'll just posted a video clip here just a couple minutes ago <clears throat> from, I think it was working with uh, this same dog where she asked me like, how many reps should we do? And I think a lot of people underestimate big time how many reps, right? It's like, they'll be working, say a sit stay <clears throat> and they'll do like, they'll do like, like five sit stays, right? And like the first four will be sloppy as shit. Yeah. And then the fifth one, the dog will do kind of well. And then they'll be like, oh, look, he did it right. Let's move on to the next thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right? 
<clears throat> we want the dog not just to get it right one time. We want them to be proficient in getting it right consistently. And mm. then past that, right? Some people will do five good repetitions, mm. but there'll be like five half-assed good repetitions. Like the dog yeah. will do it, but like while you're working your duration, they're like thinking about getting up every second. Maybe they don't make the mistake, but yeah. they're kind of contemplating mm. if they should keep doing the correct thing or not. We want to yeah. see them not just proficient, but we want to see them confident in their decision to be proficient. Yeah. Right? Meaning they're stable. They clearly understand the expectation and there's no guessing going on in their head then at that point. Mm -hmm. So do way more repetitions than you fucking think. Oh, yeah. Way more. That's something I, I think one time when we had, actually, I think this was like episode three or something, man. <laughs> when we had, uh, Emily was on the podcast and something came up. I don't remember where the conversation, how the conversation even came up. But she said something like, yeah, one of the things that stood out to me when I first started at Miracle was how many repetitions we do everything. Because yeah. I think, and it kind of blew my mind because it was like, is this not common knowledge in the dog world? Like like mm -hmm. all these other training companies and stuff like that. Like, and, and I've seen it firsthand, like when I went to like, like other shadow programs and stuff with different people. Like some people just don't focus on enough repetition. They work on too many different things mm. and the dog never does any single one that great. Yeah. You know? Was it like a Bruce Lee quote, quote or something like that where he's like, yeah. fear not the man that does 5,000 different things two times. Fear the man that does one thing 5,000 times or yeah. something like that. You yeah, know what I mean? something like that. I know what you're talking about. Some sort about. of fucking cheesy-ass yeah. Bruce Lee quote like that, you know? <laughs> so whatever. So, so that was one thing. The other slide <coughs> that I screenshotted that I thought was interesting, somebody asked her, what was the most... Um, brain exploding thing, brain exploding emoji thing that you and Melly learned. And she said, honestly, how fast results can be with the right approach. Melly has struggled with this level of reactivity for two plus years now. And she worked with another trainer for a while without much improvement. There's, of course, tons more work to do to keep making progress. But the idea that she can now go on hikes and have dog friends and just walk down the street without blowing up an adrenaline, risking her safety after five days is wild. Mm -hmm. Dogs live for one-seventh of the time that humans do. So I value their time seven times more. And I would want any dog under my care to have the fullest life possible for as long as possible. That last point, people are not understanding when we get into balance training and we get into getting past problematic behaviors and stuff like that, I just can't wrap my brain around, even if a method works, mm -hmm. right? A method that takes three years, four years to, I can't wrap my <laughs> brain around wasting that much time yeah. to live a fulfilled life with a dog when we could get those results so much fucking faster. It's true. And again, from both sides of the aisle, there's plenty of balanced trainers out there that just like become okay with whether it's because they're not training in a proficient manner, they're not implementing the right techniques, they're trying to sugarcoat things, whatever it may be, right? There's plenty of trainers that also will just kind of accept this like half-assed success, right? Mm -hmm. But like still struggling, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> when you could just, you really can get past this stuff faster. Mm -hmm. You really can. Yep. So I thought that was cool. <clears throat> you got anything to say to that? Nope, I enjoyed it. All right. <laughs> I really do like that quote at the end, though, the, you know, the seventh of our lives, so you should enjoy it seven times more. You know, that's a great quote. 100%. I love that because you're right. 
battling <laughs> something with your dog for two to three years. I mean, okay, that was a quarter of their life. Dude, it's <laughs> the same fucking thing with that burn duel that I did the virtual console with. Yeah. They, they, these all go hand in hand, mm-hmm. right? Struggle for three years. I couldn't imagine living three years <laughs> with the dog and just being at my fucking wits end uh, with that dog yeah. for that long. I couldn't, I no. could not imagine it. No. I can't imagine the stress that comes with that. Oh, yeah. You know, like I got very lucky <clears throat> where, you know, I told myself, because I never had dogs growing up or anything, when I got Vera, right, mm. before I even adopted her, I signed up for training classes. I was like, I'm not going to have the bad dog. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to happen. I'm just not going to tolerate that, right? Mm-hmm. And a part of that was that mentality going into it of like, it's not like I'm going to try to train my dog. It's I will not have the bad dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and then it was that dedication and commitment to like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to seek out professional help initially. And I... You know, not that there was anything wrong with the trainers that I worked with initially, but I worked with like four different trainers with her before I started working for somebody and training dogs myself, right? And I learned a lot from each individual one, but I remember the the transition from one to the next to the next to the next. I just kept kind of capping out with what I was learning. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I felt like I got from here to here with one, which was good, but there were still things I wanted better. So I found somebody to get me from here to here. And it was good, but I wanted it a little better. And I found somebody to get me from here to here. And then from there, I hit a point where I was like, okay, I don't necessarily think anybody in the greater Cleveland area is going to get me to where I truly, truly want to go. And I wasn't having major issues at this point, mind you, right? Yeah. But I wanted to, like, how far can I take this training thing? You know what I mean? Um, Which is then where I started seeking out help outside of Cleveland. You know what I mean? I, I started doing virtual sessions and consults with people and stuff like that and just, just wanted to keep learning about this stuff. <clears throat> but I got what I'm getting at with that is I got lucky because it's like I went into things knowing like there's no chance I'm going to have it. I'm not going to have issues. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I just couldn't imagine being in that position. So yeah, don't put yourself through it. Do not <laughs> seek out the help. Yes. So <clears throat> you changing, changing battery here. What are you doing? Oh yeah. 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 How nice is that, though, that we don't have to hit that record button a gazillion times? It's pretty fucking slick, dude. <sighs> Maybe we got to get another one. We'll see. Just have this thing just ripping and rocking, dude. <laughs> ripping and rocking. All right, so we're going to get into the last part of today. We're already a half an hour in. Yep. We're, we're burning right now. Mm-hmm. Burning. We're burning. ripping and rocking, dude. <laughs> I keep wanting to say that. I don't know why. Ripping and rocking. We're ripping and rocking. <laughs> it's going to be his new catchphrase. Ripping and rocking. Paige, we got to go rip and rock with the boarding trains after this. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> All right, so so here's the last thing. So I want to talk about... So I've been messaged multiple times about this uh, Tennessee situation with the two kids that were killed by the dogs. The mom got injured. Horrible situation, Right. I messaged, I got messaged by a lot of people on, hey, will you talk about this? Will you share some insight on this, this, that? And it's something where I've been thinking about over the last like handful of days, like how to approach this situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because the problem is up until really last night and this morning, I didn't know what details were out there. I just kind of seen headlines posted this, that. And when I really started digging into it, there's not really any details that are out there yet on the situation, mm-hmm. right? And 
just just like the way I function with this kind of stuff. I don't like giving my opinion on things that we don't know anything about. Yeah. And this is a, a, a prime situation of that, right? This is a prime situation of the reason why people are asking me to speak out on this is because of the fact that it's it's there are people that like to jump on stories like this where there's not a lot of information out there and mm-hmm. then just put their own story on it. You know what I mean? And yeah. people are using this as ammunition to like be like, fuck pit bulls, right? Bringing up the conversation of like, hey, they should be banned again. They're dangerous dogs, this, that, right? There's people out there that are using this as like a, <clears throat> like defending against that, like, hey, like this is not a pit bull issue. This is all in how they're raised. And they're almost like putting blame on the owner of like, you know, obviously this is a situation of bad ownership that caused this. And it's like, no matter what way you approach this conversation, you're kind of shitting on somebody without knowing the details. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so I've really I've really wanted to shy away from it, but I do think it's important that I give a couple of glimpses into just like first thoughts in my head when I see a situation like this, mm-hmm. right? Um <clears throat> when did you hear about it, Chad? Did you hear about this recently? Yeah, it was like 2 or 3 days ago. Yeah. It was like the day after it happened. I think mm-hmm. uh Someone on like a Facebook group posted it, I think. As a non-dog trainer, when you read it, what were you thinking? <laughs> terrible, you know? Yeah. A terrible fucking situation. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to to believe that something like that could happen because I think they had the dog, it's the like dog's free. Yeah, well, yeah. a long time and never... <laughs> Never had an issue, quote sure. unquote, you know, yeah. I, it never a terrible issue, probably. Yeah. So it probably came as a super surprise to them. But <clears throat> I don't know. I, you know, it's it's hard to really give a proper op, like <laughs> thought on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's just such a terrible thing. A hundred percent. Right. So so I think the biggest problem here is so much of this is an education issue, right? And so yeah. much of this is a societal issue, right? And so, and, and, and I want to, everything I say here, I'm going to kind of disconnect from this situation and put that to the side because none of this I look at directly related to that because again, we don't have any details as far as what happened. We don't know what triggered it. We yep. don't know any sort of history about these dogs, yep. any sort of history about what the relationship between the dogs and the owner is, any sort of you know idea of how much training they've had or this or that. We, we have no fucking clue of any of it, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to talk on that specific situation, right? So what I do want to do is I want to just discuss here some key points I have put down as far as why I think we're finding ourselves in these situations with dogs. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. We paused and I had to take about 30 minutes to write all this stuff down. (laughs) My thoughts weren't together ready enough. Okay, so thing number one. I think as a whole, our society has started to develop extremely unhealthy relationships with dogs, right? Dogs have replaced children for a vast majority of people in between their 20s and 30s right now and older than that right now. And because they've basically replaced children for them, we are treating them like human children, right? Mm -hmm. We can take our dogs so many more places than we used to. We're not aware of the fact that dogs are territorial creatures and that has served all sorts of issues and just diluting this relationship we have with them and not really understanding what they need from us from a true fulfillment standpoint because we're providing needs 
that we would be providing for children, thinking that they're the same with dogs, which they're just not, mm -hmm. right? Dogs need to be mentally and physically challenged, particularly power breed dogs, and we are just not doing that right now, right? Mm -hmm. We're providing all of the things that they do not need. <clears throat> Thing number two, we're putting dogs before children or just people in general, in a lot of cases, right? Mm -hmm. I see so much, whether it's with people that contact me for training, whether it's people that I see on the internet, people in the rescue community, I see so much of this, well, if you don't like my dog's behavior, you can leave or don't come over, like that type of mentality, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, we're, we've accepted because we love our dog that if they're poorly behaved and being a nuisance to people, that that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially when you factor in most of those nuisance based behaviors that you may be seeing of the begging, the controlling, the climbing all over people, the jumping, the excessive demand barking at them, things like that. Right. Those are like competitive dominant things that dogs are doing to people. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've accepted it just as like, that's just my dog's personality and that's what they do. And it's cute and it's funny. And it doesn't bother me that my dog tries to control me all the time. So basically these people, these owners are just like constantly emboldening these dogs to be more and more and more and more pushy. And nine out of 10 times, it's not a problem until somebody pushes back on them and truly tries to get the dog to do something that they don't want to do. And then you see it all explode. We see this time and time again in one-on-one -on -one lessons where somebody will come in and they'll have a dog that they just think is kind of difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And the dog run, runs the roost at home, right? And <clears throat> they'll bring the dog in and I'll try to get the dog to do something, whether it's just leash walking or moving away from the owner or something like that. And I won't give in to them when they tell me, no, I don't want to do that. And then we'll see like some sort of crazy aggressive outburst come out of them, right? Mm -hmm. And the owner is like, oh my God, I can't believe that that just happened. What, like, like I, I can't believe that just happened, right? They're so mind boggled that that yeah. behavior came out of the dog. But the reason for it is because those owners have went three years, four years, catering to absolutely everything that the dog would do that the first time that the dog was presented with a situation where it's like, they're not going to win, all that pushback comes right out of them. Yeah. That's another big problem that I see in a lot of these cases. Um, I think another thing, we don't understand that competition in houses exists, right? Uh, especially with power breeds, right? Uh, and especially without proper leadership, right? This has been something that's been debated in the dog world forever. of Like dominance isn't a thing and this and that. But I think that there's no denying that dogs see hierarchy, right? And if they don't see that somebody is in charge of situations all the time, they're 100% of the time going to put themselves in that situation. And the problem is the second you give dogs the 100% ability to make decisions on their own, sometimes they're going to make decisions that you don't want them to make, right? Yep. And in a lot of cases, dogs learn how to make these decisions with their mouth, right? They're animals, right? They have teeth, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> Another thing. We are... We are like oblivious to the fact that dogs at their nature are predators, right? Mm -hmm. They hunt, they kill, they eat, right? Now, in most cases, right, that is typically just related to other dogs, right? Dogs fighting, you know, other animals, right? Or eating squirrels in the backyard or rabbits or this or that. But the problem is because dogs are predators, again, like we just talked about a second ago, they've learned they could use their mouth to solve problems. 
and you know especially they have this drive to kill other animals and consume other animals when you have dogs that may potentially have like miswirings in their brain or be struggling with impulse control big time, sometimes that drive can be channeled towards things that you don't necessarily want it to. And especially when you don't have proper control over the dog's drives and instincts. Mm-hmm. It's another thing. <clears throat> um, I think that we have a hard time admitting that power breeds always will have an increased potential of liability. Right now, um, I think that we've separated pit bulls from power breeds, right? Like we, like for whatever reason, like I think because there's so many of them in shelters and there's such a push to like, we'll call it decriminalize pit bulls and stuff like that. We've mm-hmm. tried to make them seem like they're these, they're just like the nicest family dog ever, right? Everybody says all the time. I love pit bulls. It's all in how they're raised and they're the nanny dog and this and that. And again, I love them. They're fantastic dogs. We work with pit bulls probably more than just about any other breed uh, that you could imagine. And 99.9% of them make wonderful, wonderful family dogs, right? But they're still a power breed. They're still a working breed. They still have genetics in them to do things that you might not necessarily want them to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's a reason they were used for fighting dogs. Um, (laughs) And any power breed, German Shepherd, Rottweiler, Doberman, like any of those types of ones, they come with their own inherent set of liability, right? They're stronger than other dogs. They're bigger than other dogs. Their bite is more powerful than other dogs, right? Like it's, it's, they could just be more dangerous just in general when push comes to shove with things, mm-hmm. right? There's a big difference between a Chihuahua biting you or a Golden Retriever biting you mm-hmm. versus a uh, Doberman or a Mastiff or yeah. a Pitbull or something like that that mm-hmm. has a lot more power behind that bite and a lot more tenacity and pushback. And again, power breeds are typically more like kind of headstrong, confident, dominant dogs that aren't going to back down quite as easily as other breeds. Mm-hmm. And then... The last point that I have here, just related to the pity conversation, right, is I think we've become such an advocate for them that we're forgetting that they have the genetics to fight and to bite in the first place, right? It's funny. I was trying to, I really wanted to pull up a clip here um, from an episode of The Dog Whisperer that my wife and I were watching the other day, right? And basically, in a nutshell, what was happening in the episode is Caesar had these this pity that he was like rehabilitating for this family. Right. And the dog, whatever was fairly social with other dogs. It was for the last, like, I think two months with him, like at his center running and playing and chasing balls with all the other dogs. And obviously Caesar's a huge pity advocate and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, I'm a big pity advocate as well. Right. Again, we work with a ton of them. I don't think that they're like inherently dangerous, bad dogs by any means. Right. But At one point in the episode, right, this dog picked a fight with another dog, and there was literally like a 65-second clip of this massive dog fight that broke out. Like, I was was mind-blown that they even showed the thing on the freaking (laughs) episode. For anybody that wants to watch this, it's like, I think it's episode 28, season four, called like Dueling Pitbulls or something like that, (laughs) that you can go watch. It's on Nat Geo on on Disney+, Plus, right? It's a wild episode. And it has a, a positive outcome at the end, obviously, right? But... It was like a 65 second clip of this massive dog fight broke out that was like literally like there were eight dogs deep just jumping on top of each other, biting like, I mean, like gripped onto other dogs. Like, <laughs> like it was it was brutal. And honestly, like for some people, like it could be very traumatizing to watch. Like it's like 
It, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it is virtually all of the dogs that were involved in that social that was going on, right, and that were involved in the fight were the pities of the group, mm-hmm. right? And there's something about, like, when dog fights break out and stuff, right, or stimulation is happening, yelling, running, jumping, stuff like that. Man, there's, like, for, for some of these dogs that have that, like, gene in them, mm. right? I don't even want to call it gene. I'm, like, making, you know, like, whatever. I'm, yeah. like, making up terms here right now. <clears throat> that have that kind of thing in them, mm-hmm. it's like a magnet, dude. Like, you yeah. see their whole body. It's like, I got to run and be a part of that, right? <laughs> and some of these dogs, right? Like, all the dogs in that clip, they were the most balanced dogs, right? Those are his balanced pack that he uses mm-hmm. to socialize and rehabilitate other dogs so much. But when that much stimulation breaks out, they have this drive that just causes them to need to go be a part of this. And I've seen this with so many. One of the people that messaged me about, like, hey, you should talk about this, right? You should kind of like stand up for, um, you know, the dogs and stuff like that and, and, and all this. <clears throat> this person has two pities herself, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was like, I'm a hundred, you know, like, we don't know what happened. This is absolutely not a case where people can, should be jumping on like, you know, pit bulls are bad or this or that or anything like that, right? But, but like even her herself, I was like, yeah, I was like, there is like, I think some people are just oblivious to the fact that there is this drive in them to just like grab things, you know, and not even necessarily in an aggressive, like I want to kill it kind of way. It's just that stimulation that want to go over and control, right? Mm-hmm. And she brought up a, a situation with her dogs where, you know, and these dogs are both, you know, again, pities and very social with each other and stuff like that. But they were like in the backyard sniffing something and one of them kind of snapped at the other over something and it just turned into like a massive dog fight, right? Yeah. And it's like when they fight, they just fight more intense than other dogs, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, we just got to realize that. Like I've experienced the same thing myself, right? So both of my pities, Deli and Vera, they got in two gnarly, horrendous dog fights with each other uh, when I wasn't home. And... In both cases, right? These are both social dogs individually. They're both good with each other. But when they get into fights, it's brutal, man. Like, they just fight hard as fuck, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, a locking jaw with pit bulls, right? There's not a locking jaw, right? But every dog has, like, an individual play and fight style to things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dogs, their play or fight style is, like, bite, 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 right? A lot of re-gripping and stuff like that, which is why you'll see, like, German Shepherds in particular, right? You see them get into fights with other dogs. It's like there's, like, a hundred puncture wounds, but, like, none of them are, like, that serious because they're just, like, chomp, 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 chomp. Yeah. Right? Kitties are, like, grab, hold, right? And then especially when you get into, like, you try to break them up and pull them apart and stuff like that there's so much more damage and so much more trauma because of the fact that it's like they're grabbing and holding so strongly and then it's like ripping right so they could just it it just cause so much more damage and that clip in that episode was was so interesting to me because again balanced dogs that in the right circumstances can all be a part of a big serious problem like that and i've been in the middle of a situation like that many times before right dog fights breaking out and suddenly it's like certain dogs that are just like never a problem they just have to be a part of all that stimulation and energy and that gets back to one of my points i had written down of like we're just oblivious to dogs at their nature being predators right Mm -hmm. we are we can't admit that power breeds will always have an increased potential liability right when we're socializing power breeds if i'm socializing a rottweiler i have to be aware of the fact that if something is going to pop off I need to make sure I'm in a position to handle that 
because that dog, if it does decide it wants to go be a part of what's going on over there, mm-hmm. the liability behind it is so much higher, right? Yep. And uh, <clears throat> then you get into, again, with the other things I brought up, the unhealthy relationships we have with dogs or people where we just have no communication and no control established over them, where it's like, if something happens, I have no influence. I'm shit out of luck. You know what I mean? That dog is not going to pay attention to me because I put them in a position where they know that I put them before children and people, right? Um, they don't understand that competition houses the competition in houses exist, meaning those dogs are probably in their mind in a higher totem pole position than you, your kids, anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. And we have that unhealthy relationship with them where we've spoiled them and emboldened them to act on those impulses even stronger. All these things kind of factor together and can create the worst case scenario for people in any household. Right. And again, this is not a breed specific thing. I look at this as more of like a power breed issue mixed with all of those other things. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the first step of making sure stuff like this doesn't happen is making sure that we could admit all of these things. We could understand that there's an increased liability and an increased responsibility associated with us owning certain breeds of dog while also understanding that that does not make them bad dogs. Yeah. Right. I think I found my groove there. It was good. Yeah, you found it. What's what's your opinions on all that? Uh, Add something to this. Yeah, give me a breather. No, you're good. No, I, I fully agree with all that. I mean, it's it's not necessarily the dog's fault or whatever. It's but it's like like these all these little things that just come together to make one big problem. Mm-hmm. And it may never happen, but then, like you said, it could be that one time that yeah. they get that certain amount of stimulation and then it's just kind of a wired response, yeah. you know? And I I think Devin, Devin actually had like a good point on it too, is like a lot of these pit bulls are a lot of mixes, yeah. you know? They're not even like a pure bred sure. dog. It's a, a kind of a pity, you know, pity mix or whatever. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like... I mean, who knows what that could put in entail into everything as well, you know? Yeah. Like, what is their temperament with the, the, the mix? I don't know. Sure. And then uh, I guess my other thing, it was really funny that you, t- you said something about chihuahuas. Because when I was, you know, skimming through the, the comments of everything, which are ridiculous on that, on that post. But um, this one person was like, well, chihuahuas are inherently more aggressive than pit bulls yeah but and then somebody was literally just said and i'm not disagreeing with that yeah yeah you know what i mean like i've i always say like like the top 10 most dangerous dogs i've ever worked with all weigh like under 20 pounds yeah but we can't deny the fact that even if it's they're they're 10 times more dangerous than a larger breed dog that one percent of the time with a larger breed dog can be much much more fatal and serious well that's what i was going to say they they the, the one person that responded was like that could be, but when's the last time like a Chihuahua had a fatality or whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, it, I don't know, man. It's, yeah. it's and, and to be clear, like remember the last situation with that dog walker that got like mauled by those dogs? Mm-hmm. Like I think if I'm not mistaken, that was like a German Shepherd and something else. Yeah, they're you know? power breeds. Both so of like, them. so again, this is not a pity issue. No, you know what I mean. And when okay. I say pity, I know people are going to jump on my case of like Pitbull's not really a breed. It's like I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. But we could use the generalized term of like pity as like big blocky headed. Yeah. Like 
whether it's a Amstaff, right? Staffordshire Terrier, American yeah. Pitbull Terrier, like any of the above, your Bulldog, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Power breed, right? Yeah. There is a distinct look of a power breed that we typically will refer to as a pit mix. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's kind of what I'm referring to with it. And, and again, like, I just think that people need to realize that with the right recipe of bad things, anything like like any of this stuff is possible. Mm-hmm. Like everybody should take a good hard look at their situation in their household, right? And they should look at the dogs that they have and they should really ask, am I letting so much stuff just slide right now because it doesn't bother me? Mm-hmm. And am I really that confident? That under the right circumstances, something really bad couldn't happen. Yeah. Again, I, I've talked about this so many times on the podcast. Like, I see worst case scenario in the industry that I'm in all the time, right? And because I've seen worst case scenario and I've seen it happen more times than you can imagine, my brain immediately goes to this could happen to anybody. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And the more aware we become of that and the more aware we become of all of these things that I discussed, the more we'll do our due diligence to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. And I think that's the last things that I have to say on that. Yeah. I, I, I think my thing is um, if people really set and like maybe analyze their, their dog's habits and how they act throughout the days a little more, you could probably see maybe a little more into, ooh, could my, you know, could this become something yeah. in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we do dismiss a lot of those moments because it's like, oh, it was nothing big. But, yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah, 100%. So we're going to wrap that up on that. Cool. Um, I think we got our point across. We did. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you guys here on the next one. See you.